With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast, brought to you, of course, by our great friends at MyBookie. Week one of college football is in the books, but we are just getting started, guys. We've got three more months of regular season college football. Then we've got the entire postseason, bowl season, college football playoff, national championship. There is so much time left for you guys to make some money for yourselves this football season. And the best place to do that is at mybookie.ag. Just go to mybookie, sign up for a brand new account, and use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on that first deposit. Again, promo code UGA at mybookie.ag for a 50% bonus on your first deposit. You don't want to wait, guys. Jump on it now while you still can. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and today we're doing something a little bit different. With this being another cupcake week, we're going to switch things up. Those of you who have been with us for a while, you know what we do during actual game weeks. We have a full-on game preview episode where we take a deep dive, the deepest of deep dives into this week's game that you're going to find anywhere. And if you're new to the show, I know a lot of you joined us this summer, I promise those episodes are coming. But when we have yet another one of these games that no one really wants to see against an overmatched non-con opponent... I know that you don't care about the game previews. I know that. So I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my time. I want to try to produce content that I think you guys care about. So in place of our usual game preview this week, we are going to substitute an SEC Power Rankings episode. Look, college football is back, guys. We've been waiting more than eight months for it to get here. It finally came back this weekend. I watched all those games, you watched all those games, and we have a lot to talk about outside of the world of Georgia football. And look, if any of you out there really, really want me to do a Ball State preview, I'm happy to do it. I'm ready to roll with it. I mean, I watched, I've already watched the Kentucky Ball State game from this past weekend. I'm ready to roll with it, but I've also been doing this for nine years now, and we used to do that. We used to do game previews for every single opponent, didn't matter who it was. But in nine years, I have learned that you do not care because the numbers tell me that. When we have done game preview episodes for opponents like this, no one really wants to listen because no one actually does listen to those episodes. So again, I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my time. So we're just going to do something a little different, call a little bit of an audible today. And I know that this is a Georgia-centric podcast, obviously, given the name, Glory UGA Podcast. 
but we are in the SEC. So I still think it makes sense to do an SEC Power Rankings episode now that we have actually had a chance to lay our eyes on all of these teams. So let's have some fun with it. And I'm going to be entirely honest with you. I don't have any particular rhyme or reason or any set criteria on how I rank these teams. Really, for me, it, it was pretty simple. It was a combination of what we saw week one. That has to weigh heavily. But we also know that week one for most teams in the conference was Cupcake City USA. And there's only so much you can learn from that. So I'm also going to throw in what we already know about the players on these teams who have been around for a while. Like we know Spencer Rattler. We've seen this guy for a couple of years now. We know what and who KJ Jefferson is. So it's really just a very informal combination of those two things. What I've seen from these teams through one week and what I already know to be true about them. And I'm not going to do this every single week because eventually... God willing, we will get to games that people actually care about, like South Carolina next week. So it's not going to be every week, but I am going to periodically update this throughout the season when we have games like this, where again, none of you care about me previewing the actual game. So that's what we're doing today. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. And let's start at the bottom and work our way up. I don't want to spend as much time with the teams at the bottom. We do, after all, have 14 teams to talk about, and I don't want this episode to go two hours. So I'm going to kind of run through these teams at the bottom, and I'll spend a little bit more time with the teams that are closer to the top of the list. But coming in number 14, perennially it seems like, is the Vanderbilt Commodores. I do think that Clark Lee is doing a good job at Vanderbilt, and I do think eventually he will lead them to respectability. I don't know how high their ceiling actually is. Respectability for them, I would say six, seven wins on a fairly consistent basis. I don't know if they have much more than that in them, but I do think Clark Lee has a vision for this program. He knows where he wants to take the program. I think they're taking steps in the right direction. They're just not there yet. They're not even really close to it. And here's what's happening with Vanderbilt. If you've watched them play, I know most of you probably watched the Hawaii game week zero because it was week zero and it was one of the premier games of week zero. But Clark Lee is trying to build this team and establish an identity that is very similar to what we do. He wants to run the football. He wants to be physical. He wants to hit play action shots down the field off of that. All the same things that we see on a weekly basis from the Georgia Bulldogs. The problem for Vanderbilt is they simply do not have the players to do that right now. Their offensive line is dreadful. They were having a very difficult time moving Hawaii. Their center was getting thrown around like a rag doll in that game. So what is going to happen when you play SEC opponents that are just physically bigger, stronger, and superior to you? you're not going to be able to hold up. And Vanderbilt, I don't believe, is going to win an SEC game this year unless someone completely wets the bed. That's what it's going to take for Vandy to win one of these games. They're going to have to get late in the season, kind of like they did last year, where teams kind of given up. They kind of spiraled out of control. Things aren't going well. And Vandy's motivated. They catch him off guard. The other team is lethargic. They play really poorly. They turn the ball over. That is what it's going to take for Vandy to get a single SEC win this season. Now, they got two of them last year, so it's not impossible. It's just going to take a situation like that or, or a major injury situation like Kentucky had last year. I know that Will Levis played in that game. That dude was incredibly banged up. They had injuries all over the field. And you just can't count on that happening. Again, it's possible. It happened last year, but you can't predict that's going to happen. A.J. Swan, I think, long-term is going to be a good quarterback for them. He's still young. He's still learning. He's a sophomore now. He played some last year, was in and out of the lineup, but he's a guy, I mean, he's a big physical guy. He's got a good arm. He's got the tools. He's still just learning, man. He makes some very poor decisions with the ball at times. He's not altogether accurate, but by Vandy QB standards, at least recent Vandy QB standards, he's 
probably one of the better ones they've had in a while. They have two good receivers. I mean, I really believe that Jade McGowan is one of the best playmakers in the SEC, potentially. That guy can absolutely play. He's a small, just kind of electric jitterbug out there. And then Will Shepard is a, is a bigger target on the outside at receiver, but he's one of the better receivers in the SEC. So they have a couple of skill players that can do some things, but along the lines of scrimmage, they just aren't there yet. They're going to get bullied and thrown around all year long in conference play. So Vandy, while they might be taking steps in the right direction, they're still a ways away from getting where they want to go. So they're still at number 14 in my SEC power rankings, coming in at number 13. I'm sticking by my guns here. I'm not backing down from what I said about this team in the preseason just based on one big win against Southeast Louisiana. I got Mississippi State coming in at number 13. And my position on Mississippi State all offseason has been this transition from the air raid on one end of the spectrum to what they're doing now on basically the other end of the spectrum, trying to go under center, trying to establish a physical ground game, doing things that Will Rogers, their quarterback, has never, ever done in his entire career. High school, college, never done it. He was fine against Southeast Louisiana based on his numbers, 20 to 29, 227, two touchdowns, no picks. But again, how much can you tell against a team like that? They did run the ball well. I've always felt like the past couple of years, even under Mike Leach, they had some good backs. Jaquavius Marks is back with them. I think he's a good running back. I felt like he was very underutilized in the air raid scheme that they ran. 19 carries, 127, two touchdowns. I think he's going to be able to do some things on the ground for them. I'm just not convinced that Will Rogers is a fit for this offense. I don't think he has great physical tools. In fact, I, I think his physical tools potentially might be the worst in the entire league at the quarterback position, at least among the starting quarterbacks in the league. And that was neutralized to a large degree with the air raid, where it's really just all about accuracy. Think about how teams were playing them. They were dropping eight, right? That was essentially the way everyone started to defend Mike Leach's air raid offense Mississippi State. They were just dropping eight, and they were just taking check down to check down to check down, and he was really accurate as a passer in those situations. But in terms of push the ball down the field vertically, this guy does not have an arm to speak of whatsoever. He is extremely immobile. He is having to read defenses and coverages that he has never seen before in his life. Because again, what he was playing against when he was under Mike Leach was an entirely defense, different defensive scheme than what he is going to see game in and game out. He has not seen these types of coverages. He's also never had to turn his back to a defense on a play action and then turn around and find a receiver. He's never had to do that. Now he's had an offseason of working on that, but how proficient can you expect the guy to be at that when he's had a couple of months to work on that? There are plenty of guys that have been working on it for a couple of years and still aren't very good at it. So I know nice solid victory, 48-7 at Southeast Louisiana to open the season. Good for them. I just don't think it's going to be a banner here for Mississippi State. I think they're going to have a losing season when it's all said and done. I think they'll be lucky to get more than two wins in conference. So I got Mississippi State coming in at number 13. At number 12, I got the Missouri Tigers. Now, I don't know how I feel about this one. There's a chance Missouri could be better than this. And again, we'll do this a couple more times throughout the season. And there's a very realistic shot that they could move up these rankings. But I did watch some of their game on Thursday night against South Dakota. And what was the issue with Missouri last year? It was their offense. Their defense was really good. It was one of the top defenses in the SEC. But offensively, they didn't scare anybody. And this is one of the reasons, the primary reason, why I wasn't as high on Missouri coming into this season as a lot of other people were. There were people when they saw the win toll at six or six and a half when it was first released back in late May that were just screaming for the over. And I didn't necessarily see it that way. And I still don't see it that way. They can get to seven wins. That's certainly possible. But I don't think it's a sure thing because this offense 
doesn't seem to have improved all that much from where it was last year. Now, again, I know it's one game, so so it's difficult and dangerous to draw these hardcore definitive conclusions about a team, but when what you saw in their first game is very similar to what you saw from them all of last season, it lends a little bit more credence to this being what that offense is going to be, or at least something close to it. And against South Dakota, they put up 35 points, but they didn't really move the ball all that well. Four and 37 total yards. The issue, the biggest issue for them on offense is the quarterback position. I, I said in the, in the preseason, Brady Cook is fine. He's solid. He's decent. They can win some games when they, they got to a bowl last year with him. But their ceiling is very limited with Brady Cook. If he is their best quarterback, they are going to have a tough time getting to seven and certainly past seven wins. He was finding us South Dakota. Sam Horn is a guy from Consul High School here in Georgia who has the much higher ceiling, but he has no experience to speak of. And coming into the season, Drinkwitz said that Sam Horn was going to play. And he did play, but he got about a series. He was three of five, 54 yards, a touchdown, and one interception. So based off that one game, it still seems like Brady Cook is the guy. And if Brady Cook is your guy, you are a six to seven win team for me. And on top of that, you lose your best playmaker in Dominic Lovett. He's obviously now in Athens playing for us. I do think Luther Burden is going to take a step forward this year, but who are the other playmakers on that team that scare you? I don't I don't see him. I don't see him. So this is not going to be a static list. I'm going to update it as the season goes on. But right now, I got Missouri at 12. And I think that's a pretty defensible spot to have them. All right, coming in at number 11, another team that I was just not buying in the preseason and I'm still not buying them. Some people were, but I was certainly selling the South Carolina stock. And uh, I'm still very much selling every bit of South Carolina stock I've got. I know they're playing a quality power five opponent in North Carolina. I understand that. But that was just an absolutely awful performance by the Gangbox. Nine sacks? Gave up nine sacks to North Carolina's defense? Negative two yards rushing? You let the North Carolina Tar Heels and that pathetic defense has been pathetic for how many years now? You let them hold you to negative two yards rushing? What is going to happen when you play actual legitimate SEC defenses? And y'all know how I feel about Spencer Rattler. His final numbers in this game were solid. Like He was pretty good. 30-39, 353, no touchdowns, no picks. He really wasn't the problem in that game. But again, you guys know how I feel about Rattler. He is the epitome of inconsistency. He could very well go out the next game and have a 17 of 35 for 141 yards, one touchdown, three interception game. Like he, That's what he is. That's what he's been his entire career. Up and down, up and down. And then you look at the South Carolina defense and you can look at the final numbers in that game and say, oh, well, you know, North Carolina, you got Drake Mays, probably the number one pick in the draft right now or certainly in the conversation for it, along with Caleb Williams. It'll probably be Caleb Williams, but he's certainly going to be a top five pick, at least it looks like right now. And you held them to 437 total yards, 269 yards passing. But let's put this in context. They were without Tez Walker and Nate McCollum, their top two receivers in the first game of the year with a brand new offensive coordinator. So I don't know how excited I would be about that defensive performance if I was South Carolina fans. In fact, if I'm a Gamecock fan, I am not feeling good about things right about now. And that is why I have them at number 11 in my initial rankings. Next up, coming in at number 10, I've got the Auburn Tigers. And this is one I thought long and hard about. I considered having Auburn a little bit higher here. In fact, these next three or four teams, they're kind of all in a jumble for me for the most part. I think Auburn could reasonably be a little higher in these rankings, but I've got them at number 10 because there are just so few known quantities on that team, at least in terms of the context of this Auburn football team and with this scheme, with this coaching staff. We have seen Peyton Thorne at Michigan State. 
State, we saw him be a really solid quarterback in 2021 when they won 10 games. And last year, we saw him struggle for a lot of the season. Now, what is he going to be with a new coach and a new scheme? That remains to be seen. They also didn't have Jarquez Hunter in this game. He was suspended. They only threw the ball 25 times. They ran it 44 times. They're playing UMass. They're playing an overmatched opponents. That's what you do, right? You just run the football. You gather the win. You overpower them, and you call it a day. So this ranking really, for me, is more of a TBD ranking. We just don't really know all that much about Auburn right now. I think we'll find out a lot more by next weekend because they're going to travel to Berkeley to play Cal. And Cal is not great, but it's a Power 5 opponent that is going to challenge them more than UMass did. So I think we'll find a lot more out about Auburn after this weekend. But the reason I don't have them higher right now is I just don't know who their playmakers are going to be. Peyton Thorne, again, is is solid. Like he's He is fine at quarterback. I think Jarquez Hunter is going to be their best running back once he gets back on the field. When that will be remains to be seen. Robbie Ashford is a playmaker, but he's in this tough spot where he's playing quarterback, but he's a dynamic threat with his legs, but he can't actually throw the football right now. So they used him in that first game against UMass running the football. I think he had, what, three touchdowns in that game? So he's a threat, and I'm very intrigued in terms of how they're going to find ways to get him the football. They should stick him at quarterback and have him do some design QB run stuff, even though everyone knows when he's in the game, they're going to run the ball. And then who are your playmakers at wide receiver? Shane Hooks is a guy that they're pretty high on coming in from Jackson State, where he led them in basically every receiving category last year. Maybe he'll be that guy. Maybe it's Javarius Johnson, who's their leading returning receiver. Maybe he'll be that guy, but we don't know. We don't know right now. They really don't have anyone on the roster at receiver right now that has been that kind of guy at the Power 5 level. Maybe one of them will be that, but we just can't sit here and say that right now. So there you have it. There are the first five teams in my initial 2023 SEC power rankings. Again, have Vanderbilt coming in at number 14, Mississippi State at 13, Missouri at 12, South Carolina at 11, and Auburn at number 10. And before we move inside the top 10, let me remind you guys about our great friends at my bookie. College football is back, baby, and so is winning season at my bookie. Speaking of winning season, I hope you guys used the parlay I gave out on the week one pick show last week. Louisville, Utah, Illinois, Rutgers all to win plus 236 odds because that one hit and it hit big over the weekend. But I'm not going to lie. The Rutgers game was the last game in the parlay, and it was on Sunday. Louisville hit on Friday. Utah, Illinois hit. Waiting on that Rutgers game, that was tough. I really wanted to use the new cash out early option that my bookie is rolling out this season. Fortunately, this time I stood my ground and it paid off, but it's not always going to work out that way. So if you're sweating it out and you're waiting on that last game of your parlay, go ahead and cash out early. You don't have to sweat it. Just take the money and run to the bank. And getting started today could not possibly be easier. Just go to mybookie.ag right now and register for a completely 100% free account. And when you do so, use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's promo code UGA at mybookie.ag to claim your deposit bonus. And at least right now, a free chip to use in the MyBookie Casino on top of it all. So bet anything anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie. All right, guys, let's move inside the top 10 and let's go to number nine. I've got the Florida Gators. Now you guys know I'm not a believer in Florida. I made that very clear all off season and it kind of played out that way, at least in week one on the road in Salt Lake City against the Utah Utes. But even though I haven't been a believer and I'm certainly still not a believer, I did see enough from Florida in that game to have me move them up my power rankings 
ever so slightly. I still don't think they're gonna have a winning season. I still don't think they're any good, but I do think they have some good running backs, although you couldn't really tell in that first game was their offensive line was just getting whipped. I think Graham Mertz is at least going to be competent for them based off what I saw. I think they have a couple of skilled players out wide that could potentially grow into pretty solid players for them, but they just aren't elite anywhere. And when you couple that with what I believe is one of the two most difficult schedules in all of college football, when you're talking about having to play at Utah, have to play Florida State at the end of the year, in the middle of that, you have to play Tennessee at home, Georgia at a neutral site, at LSU, you have to play at Kentucky, who I think is in a much improved team this year. Have to play at South Carolina. Yes, I have South Carolina lower than Florida on my initial power rankings, but on the road in Columbia could be a tough spot for them. It is an absolutely brutal schedule, and I don't think they're going to come out of that with more than four or five wins. But that is not what power rankings are. Power rankings are not about where I think you are going to finish. It's about how good do I think that you are. And right now, I think that Florida has more known quantities than Auburn does. Auburn potentially could develop into a better team than Florida by the end of the season. But again, with Auburn, there's just so many unknown quantities that I don't really know what to do with them right now until they actually play someone with a pulse. And I'll give Florida credit. They played someone with a pulse. They went on the road and played someone with a pulse, at least for the first time in 30 years. And they didn't get completely blown out in that game. Now, obviously, since there were some extenuating circumstances in that game with Cam Rice not playing, Brent Keithy not playing. But I think Pearsall's a solid player. Again, I really like their running backs. I think Graham Mertz is going to be okay, fine for them. Defensively, I still think they have more talent than Auburn does on that side of the ball. Because while Dan Mullen was asleep at the wheel when it comes to recruiting, he was still better than Brian Harson was. And they've had Napier there for a full year. He has a full cycle of his own players there in the program. Got some talented players, a nice solid recruiting class for them last year. So I think they have more talent on that side of the ball than Auburn. That's why right now I do have them ahead of Auburn, even though Auburn might possibly end up with a slightly better record than Florida this year. But this is all subject to change. So right now I got the Florida Gators at number nine. Coming in at number eight, and this one has me all in knots, man. I don't feel great about where I have the Kentucky Wildcats. Because let's not forget... This is a team that I predicted. I went out on a limb and very aggressively predicted them to go 10-2 and this season. Now, I think 9-3 and might be the more responsible prediction for Kentucky. I think they got a shot to go 10-2, and but it's all about the schedule, Kentucky. I do think they're going to be a good football team. I think that Devin Leary raises their ceiling at quarterback. I think he's just a more competent, more proven, and more productive quarterback at the college level than Will Levis was. I think they have two really good young receivers. Ray Davis coming over from Vanderbilt is a perfect fit for that Kentucky physical downhill running style. Liam Cohen coming back from the NFL to be the offensive coordinator once again after producing their best offense in forever two years ago. Defensively, they have some big-time players on that side of the ball, and they're always good on defense with Mark Stoops. But again, I go back to what a power ranking is. This is not what do I think your schedule is going to be at the end of the year. I think Kentucky can be 9-3, and 10-2 and two good. I think they can be that this year. But that doesn't mean that if they lined up and played Texas A&M or Arkansas or Ole Miss on a neutral site, that they would beat those teams. I would have those other teams favored over Kentucky on a neutral site, but that's not how this works. When it comes to schedules, Kentucky has a pretty favorable schedule. Yes, they have to play Georgia. Yes, they have to play Alabama, but outside of that, I mean, those are two automatic losses. Their schedule is not all that daunting outside that. Yeah, they have a trip to Louisville at the end of the year, but SEC-wise inside the conference, it's a pretty favorable conference slate outside of having to play Alabama and Georgia. I mean, you get the SEC East, and yeah, you play Alabama, but you also get Mississippi State, who I think is the worst team in the West, in crossover play. But while I do think they're going to be better, and I do think they're going to have nine or 10 wins this year, I just don't know that they have the type of elite talent up and down the roster 
that some of the teams that I have ahead of them do. Their offensive line is still a question for me. I think that's the biggest question for their entire team. It was a disaster for them last year. They have gone to the portal. They've tried to upgrade that. They beat Ball State by 30 points on Saturday. But I mean, how much can you tell by beating Ball State? So I know that this ranking seems incongruent with my preseason prediction for Kentucky, but based on talent and based on where I think they rank from a power ranking standpoint in the SEC, I have them basically right smack dab in the middle of the conference at number eight. Coming in at number seven is a team that I wrestled with. I went back and forth between Arkansas and Kentucky at seven or eight. I know we're splitting hairs here. Ultimately, I went with Arkansas at number seven, and here's why. I think K.J. Jefferson is really good. I think they utilize his talents very well. I know they have new offensive coordinator in Dan Enos, but he has a history, a long track record of being a very good college offensive coordinator. I think Raheem Sanders is one of the best running backs in the entire country. I really like some of the unknown receiving talent they went and got out of the transfer portal from places like Corpus, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, something called Hillsdale College. I know those places are kind of like, what? You went and got players from where? I get it, but also those players are good. Go watch their tape, and you actually, if you watch some of their first game, those guys can make plays. Obviously, defense is a big question for Arkansas. They completely bottomed out on that side of the ball last year, especially against the pass. They revamped the entire defensive coaching staff. Now, a big part of that was Barry Odom goes and takes the UNLV head coaching job. So that is my holdup on Arkansas and why I don't have them higher. If this was based just on offenses, like if this was an offensive SEC power rankings, I might have Arkansas in the top five. But you also have to factor in the defense. And that's why I have them coming in number seven. I do think it's very defensible to say that Kentucky should be ahead of Arkansas. I could absolutely listen to that argument. And I wouldn't put up much of a fight there because, I, again, I went back and forth with that myself. But ultimately, I just go back to KJ Jefferson being a more proven quarterback right now than Devin Leary. Devin Leary had one really good season at NC State back in 2021. He's had trouble staying healthy. When he's been healthy, he's been really good. I guess you could say the same thing about KJ Jefferson. He was banged up at times last year as well. But KJ Jefferson has more versatility to his game and it allows the Arkansas offense to be more multiple. And I also think the Arkansas offensive line is a significant degree better than what Kentucky has. So again, the slightest of edges going to Arkansas at number seven. But I am high on both Kentucky and Arkansas because I have big time win total bets for both those teams to go over six and a half wins this season. All right, we're inching our way closer to the top five. Coming in at number six, just barely missing out on the top five in these initial SEC power rankings is Texas A&M. This team is one of the five most talented teams in the country, at least based on recruiting rankings. They have talent littered up and down the roster. I think give them a couple weeks and people are going to start talking about their receiving core as one of the better receiving cores in the country. Headlined, of course, by Evan Stewart and Nia Smith is back. Moose Muhammad is a really good player. I mean, having a guy like that as your third option, you're in really good shape at the receiver position. Former five-star quarterback Connor Wegman really came on towards the end of last year and started to show me a little something. He started the season off strong in week one against New Mexico. So, I mean, take it with a grain of salt, but he looks solid in that game. And it's certainly reasonable to think that he is in line for a pretty big jump in year two. And when you have all that skill talent to work with to distribute the ball to, it makes your job a lot easier. I do think losing Devon A-Chain at running back is a blow for them because I think that guy was really, really good. I loved his running style, really physical back, but also had elite home run type speed. But 
A&M has the luxury of turning to a bunch of former highly rated four and five star prospects to replace H. I mean, Ruben Owens was one of the top running backs in the country in last year's class. I wanted that guy. He's a really good player. Amari Daniels on the team last year. He's their top rusher right now, but I mean, give it a couple of weeks. Ruben Owens might take that job. Le'Veon Moss is another guy, another really highly rated former high school prospect. I am very intrigued by this Texas A&M offense. I think there's a chance now with Bobby Petrino calling the offense, calling the plays, a chance that this offense could really become one of the best offenses in the SEC. I'm going to have to see that to believe it. I cannot fully buy into that until I see it, but the talent is there. The question I still have more than anything is how much is Jimbo Fisher going to have his fingerprints on this offense? Does Bobby Petrino really truly have 100% free reign to run his offense? Because if he does, I've seen what Bobby Petrino can do calling plays. I know what kind of offenses that guy produces routinely. They can be one of the best offenses in the league with Petrino calling the shots with the talent that they have. I just don't know if Jimbo Fisher can get his ego out of the way long enough to allow that to actually happen. But if he does, watch out. Anum's offense could be legit. And that takes us into the top five. But before we get there, I want to remind you guys about our friends at Alumni Hall. I hope all of you were able to take advantage of their Labor Day 20% off deal. But if not, there will be more promotions coming. Just make sure you're following us on Twitter at Glory underscore UJ, Glory UJ Podcast on Instagram. Also, follow Alumni Hall while you're at it because they are liable to drop those promotions, drop those flash sales on you at any given time. And you don't want to miss out. Trust me on that. I know a lot of you that came in town last weekend were able to stop in in in-store and pick up your 2023 Georgia game day gear. But if you missed the first game and you're coming in town this weekend, or even if you were here last weekend and you weren't able to stop in Alumni Hall, do yourself a favor. It's right there off 316, the Epsbury Shopping Center. It truly is, guys. It is the mecca of Georgia gear. You're going to find all your favorite brands. You're going to find stuff that you can't find anywhere else. And you're also going to find a staff of welcoming kind, helpful people that will go out of their way to make your shopping experience the best it can possibly be. So do yourself a favor, check out Alumni Hall, either in-store inside the Epsbridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City or online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog shop. All right, guys, let's keep this thing rolling and let's move into the top five. Coming in at number five, is the Ole Miss Rebels. I don't know if you guys caught any of their game on Saturday. Honestly, I don't know why you would. They were playing Mercer. But knowing that we do play them later in the season, I'm far more interested in Ole Miss this year than I am in any other random given year. I'm not going to tell you I watched the whole thing because that would be a lie, but I watched a couple series and Ole Miss's offense is legit, guys. And I know, you okay, they're playing Mercer. I understand that. The rule of don't draw any definitive conclusions against a baby seal is in full effect. But again, Ole Miss's offense is nothing new. They have been dynamic for years now under Lane Kiffin. They were not as dynamic last year. And the reason for that was Jackson Dart was just not a confident, proficient passer. And he wasn't as much of a threat with his legs as I believe Matt Corral was. He's, he was enough of a threat with his legs, but not as much of a threat, in my opinion, as Matt Corral was. And again, I know it's Mercer. I know it's Mercer. But Dart looked good, man. 18-23, 335, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Now, it gets real for Ole Miss real quick 
when they go to Tulane this coming Saturday. So like Auburn, we're going to find out a lot more about this Ole Miss offense, this Ole Miss team in very short order. But unlike Auburn, they already have a lot of known quantities. It's the same offense that it was last year and the year before. We know what to expect from Ole Miss. We know what to expect from guys like Quinshawn Judkins, Jackson Dart to a degree, although I think Jackson Dart looks like he's in line to maybe take a step forward and be that highly rated quarterback that he was coming out of high school. They are loaded at receiver and tight end. I still don't believe they're going to be great on defense. I need to see that before I believe it. I think that they could potentially be middle of the pack, though, with Pete Golding coming over. And really, as I said in the preseason, just changing their scheme, being more aggressive, going away from the 3-3-5 that they were running the past couple of years, I think that alone is going to help. Now, here's the thing with Ole Miss. It goes back to what is the definition of a power ranking. I'm not sure Ole Miss is going to have as good of a record as, let's say, Kentucky at the end of the season. I'm not sure that they're going to have as good of a record as maybe even Texas A&M by the end of the season. Because like Florida, I think they have one of the two most difficult schedules in the entire country. I think those two teams, at least in the SEC, had the most difficult schedules, and it's really not even that close. If you're looking at Ole Miss, they're the only team in the country that has to go to Alabama and to Georgia. And you still have to play LSU. You still have to go to Tulane this weekend. You have to play Arkansas. Texas A&M, this is a brutal schedule. But once again, that is not what power rankings are about. I believe if you line Ole Miss up on a neutral field against a team like Texas A&M or Arkansas or Kentucky, I believe that I would favor Ole Miss. Now, it wouldn't be by a wide margin, but with what they have on offense, and if Jackson Dart takes the step forward this year that it looks like he very well could, this could be a different kind of team for Lane Kiffin this season. And I don't expect him to go into Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama. I don't expect them to beat LSU at home. I do not expect them to walk into my town, into Athens, Georgia, and beat us. I don't expect them to win any of those games. But I also think they're good enough and dangerous enough to have a puncher's chance in any of those games. And that is a game late in the season that I am watching very closely, because where it falls right before we go to Knoxville, that what's going to be an incredibly hyped-up matchup going into Knoxville, we got Ole Miss right before them. And it's going to be very easy to overlook that team. And I think that's very dangerous business. But we have a long time till we get there. Just keep that in your back pocket. This team is, I think, a, a pretty dangerous team this year. All right, next up, coming in at number four, I have the Tennessee Volunteers. And I watched every single snap of that Tennessee-Virginia game. And it was really tough to watch because Virginia's offensive line might be the worst offensive line that I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was borderline criminal what they were doing to Tony Musket, their quarterback at Virginia. And I know people are going to want to look at the box score, the people that didn't actually watch the game, and say, oh, wow, Tennessee held Virginia to 201 yards. Like, does Tennessee have a legit defense now to go with this high-powered offense? Are they maybe a true college playoff contender now? Chill out. Calm down. Let's not go there yet because Virginia is absolutely terrible. They are essentially the equivalent of a G5 program right now. They are not good. That is probably, almost certainly, in fact, the worst team in the ACC this year. Maybe Boston College will give them a run for their money, maybe, but Virginia, I'd put my money on Virginia right now. If you can't block, you can't do anything, as we saw on Saturday against Tennessee. But I do think this Tennessee defense is good, and they were good last year. That was the misconception with this Tennessee team. People felt like they had this incredibly high-powered, awesome, dynamic offense, and it's just uh, okay defense. No, their defense was a top 30 caliber defense all of last year. They were just really bad against the pass because they sold out to stop the run. And I expect them to be right around that range again this year defensively. 
But the problem for Tennessee, in my opinion, is that they are not going to be as dynamic on offense as they were last year. I was saying this all offseason long, and through one game, I know, again, one game, don't want to draw definitive conclusions, but through one game, I am feeling better and better about that prediction. Joe Milton can throw the ball a quarter mile, as we are told every single time the ball leaves his hand, at least in that first game against Virginia. So just prepare yourself for that the rest of the season. But the dude is so wildly erratic, it's crazy. There was one sequence in that game in the first half where on three consecutive throws, three consecutive passing plays on a drive, he missed his receiver and missed them badly each time. The first one in that drive was a little 10-yard curl to the sideline, and it wasn't even remotely close. Second down play was a dig route across the middle, and he overthrew his receiver so bad he couldn't really even get a finger on it. And then the third play to cap it off on that same drive, all these plays are in succession, was another curl on the other side of the field and just completely threw it out of bounds. And he had a perfectly clean pocket on all three of those throws. No pressure around him whatsoever, and he just couldn't come close to hitting the guys. That is Joe Milton. That is why he lost a job at Michigan. That is why he lost a job at Tennessee back in 2021. And that is why I cannot view Tennessee as a legitimate championship contender. And on top of that, the playmakers at wide receiver are a step down from what they had last year. They do not have a Jalen Hyatt type guy. Let's not forget, he was the Bolitnikoff Award winner last year as the best receiver in the country, at least as named by the people who vote for those things. You lose Cedric Tillman as well, and you replace them with Squirrel White and Ramel Keaton, who were bit players last year, who didn't play more because they weren't as good as the guys that they are now having to replace this year. And we're now all of a sudden expecting them to be better on offense. It's not going to happen. They're sure going to be really good because their deep choice offense, their old school Baylor Art Bryles offense they run. It's, it's obviously Josh Heupel's variation of that. It, it is just a highly productive offense. And when they out talent people, they just drop 50, 60 on you on a pretty routine basis. And I do think that Tennessee is really good. This is a really good football team this year. I think it's going to be another nine, maybe 10 win season if everything falls right for them but I don't see them in the same category as the teams I have in the top three in the SEC this year. I don't think they're quite there in that group yet. I know they beat Alabama last year. I understand that, but crazy things happen. That is not a sustainable thing. They're not going to go in and beat Alabama three out of four years, four out of five years. That's not where this program is. In a one-off, sure, they were good enough in that game when things went their way, they got the bounces, and Alabama completely played like garbage and committed game-changing penalty after game-changing penalty. Yeah, they're good enough to win a game like that if the other team just plays so poorly like Alabama did. But you can't count on Alabama playing like that every year. You can't count on Georgia playing like that this year. And LSU last year, they got really lucky going into Baton Rouge, getting to play at noon, which, I mean, is not something that ever happens in Baton Rouge. And LSU made a bunch of mistakes early in that game. It got out of hand, steamrolled, and LSU just are trying to throw the football all game long to try to catch back up. And that's not what LSU is built to do. So yeah, I do think they're good enough to beat one of those teams if the other team helps them out. But they're just not ready right now to be any of those teams if those teams play their A or really even their B game. Maybe LSU, maybe they're closer to LSU than they are Alabama and Georgia right now. I, I can listen to that argument, but I still don't see Tennessee in that top three quite yet. Doesn't mean they can't get there. I just don't see it this year with Joe Milton and some of his accuracy issues and his tendency to trust his arm a little too much and put the ball in harm's way. With that situation and the fact that I think they took a step down at the skill positions this year, I just don't see Tennessee as that top three caliber team in the league right now. 
And speaking of the top three, let's go there. And coming at number three, we have the LSU Tigers. Now, I know. I know what happened last night. I watched the same game that all of you watched. And I know the final score, a three-touchdown margin, does not look good. But I also don't think that tells the entire story. And if you watch the entire game, I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Florida State won the game 45-24. And Florida State absolutely pulled away in the second half, 31-0 run in the second half. But it was LSU that controlled that first half. It was a story of two halves. The problem for LSU was they did not take advantage of the opportunities that they had in the half that they controlled in that first half the way that Florida State took advantage of their opportunities in the second half, which is the half that they controlled. LSU had the ball at the one-yard line on that first drive, fourth and one, and could not get the ball in the end zone. In fact, they had the ball... First and goal from the one-yard line and could not get the ball in the end zone on that first drive, get stopped on downs there. Then later in the first half, they have the ball inside the Florida State 15, once again, fourth and one, and once again, get stopped on downs. Now, credit the Florida State for making those stops. Absolutely, they deserve that credit. But the margins are much smaller in that game than the final score would lead you to believe. If LSU scores on those drives, all of a sudden it's a one-score game. And maybe LSU and maybe Florida State are playing the game differently late in the game. And it's a totally different ball game. I mean, Florida State only outgained LSU 494 to 460 yards. Again, they just made the bigger plays when it mattered. And they scored in the red zone. LSU didn't. When the margins are that close from a talent standpoint, that's often what wins and loses football games. That's exactly what happened last night. So I am not going to sit here and downgrade LSU that significantly. I mean, Florida State is really good, guys. I predicted Florida State to go to the college football playoff this year. I don't take any pleasure in that. I don't like Florida State. I don't want them to go to the college football playoff. I told you on Friday's picks episode that I wanted LSU to win. This was the a head-over-heart pick. Normally, I fall prey to the heart-over-head pick. This time, I was like, I'm not going to fall prey to it. I really want LSU to win the game because I don't like Florida State. I don't love LSU either, but I'll take them over Florida State. But I just felt like Florida State was the better team. I really believe that Florida State is a cultural playoff team this year. I think they are going to make the cultural playoff. I think they are going to win the ACC. I don't know if they're going to be able to win a game once they get there, but I think they have a very legitimate shot to get there. So to me, there's no shame in LSU losing that game. I think people are overreacting based on the final score and kind of how the second half went. But I think if you actually watch the game, the margins were closer than that. But at the end of the day, LSU is exactly who I thought the LSU was going to be this year. This is the team that I think is going to win nine or 10 games. Like I told you on our preseason predictions episode, I do not see them as a championship caliber team. I don't see this LSU team in that way. I think they have a lot of talent. I just don't think that their talent in key spots is as good as some of the other true national title cultural playoff contenders. I think Jaden Daniels is a really fun quarterback to watch. He's a dynamic runner and he can throw the ball. So I'm not saying he cannot throw the ball, but he is not going to beat you with his arm. I've seen that time and time again. The best passer on that team is Garrett Nussmeyer sitting on the bench, but it's really hard to put Daniels on the bench because he is such a dynamic runner and their offense is really kind of built around his skill set. And here's the other problem. They do not have a great offensive line and they certainly do not have elite backs. They just have guys at running back. So if you're going to run the ball at all, it has to be from the quarterback position. And you've got to be able to run the football if you want to be a championship contender. I mean, if you put Garrett Nussmeyer in there, if you bench Daniels and go with Nussmeyer because you think he's a better passer, which I do believe that he is, 
I don't think it's going to work out all that well because you're not going to have any ground game to speak of. And Nussmeier's not the kind of guy, he's mobile enough, but he's not the kind of guy that's going to be able to escape pressure and be able to extend plays and do enough with his legs and pose enough of a threat as a quarterback runner to compensate for their lack of ability to run from the running back position. And I also don't think their skill talent is what everyone makes it out to be. I think Malik Neighbors, I told you guys a couple times in the offseason, I think he's good. I think he's a really good receiver. I just don't think he is the elite alpha guy that so many people want to make him out to be. I haven't seen that from him yet. Maybe he can grow into that. Maybe it's more of a projection, but it can't be based on what he's done. He hasn't been that guy. And Lacey, good receiver, not, not an elite guy. He's not that guy. I really like Mason Taylor at tight end. I think he's a guy they need to find the, find a way to get the ball in his hands in more ways than just running that little toothpick floss play that they run, their version of the triple option. And Harold Perkins on defense is an elite talent, an elite physical talent. We know that. But the way that they used him, talk about borderline criminal, the way that LSU used him last night, that's not borderline criminal. I mean, that's a felony. Matt House, the LSU defensive coordinator, should have been taken away from Camping Royal Stadium in handcuffs and walked directly to jail last night. That's how bad what they did with Harold Perkins was. I mean, unforgivable stuff. This guy is an elite pass rusher, see ball, get ball kind of guy. Why on earth would you try to make him an inside linebacker? And oh, by the way, he's never done that in his life. So there's going to be a massive learning curve. So this guy that is the most dynamic rusher, most dynamic athlete you have probably on your entire team, you're making him play a position where he doesn't really feel comfortable, which means he's going to play a step slower because he's thinking and processing things. It's not natural to him. You basically spent the entire night having him play as, as a spy against Jordan Travis. Look, I know Jordan Travis is a really good runner in his own right, but come on, turn that guy loose. What are you possibly doing? So yes, at the end of the day, I think LSU is a really good team, 9-10 win caliber team. I just don't think that they are a championship caliber team. And I am not exclusively basing that off what I saw against Florida State on Sunday night. That's not at all what I'm doing here. What I saw on Sunday night against Florida State very much mirrored what I saw for them all last year. It's really the same thing. And they have the same issues. But now that brings me to the top two teams in my initial SEC power rankings. You guys know what's coming next. Coming in number two, I have the Alabama Crimson Tide. And this is another one I don't feel I don't feel great about this. Because I think the Alabama is going to lose this weekend to Texas. I've been saying that for a couple of weeks now. Really for a couple of months. And it's not that I don't think Alabama is good. I think Alabama is a very good, very talented team. I just don't know if they have the right guys at the most important positions on their team. At quarterback, we know that's the big question. Jalen Milrow got the start and against Middle Tennessee last weekend, played really well, right? Had good numbers. Threw the ball well, ran the ball well, did some great things. But again, it's Middle Tennessee State. When I've seen this guy go against legitimate competition, I know it's a small sample size, but when we have seen it, Hadn't worked out so well. Didn't look so good. So I'm still very skeptical there. I'm still very skeptical if they have the elite skill talent on the outside. Jermaine Burton, Isaiah Bond, Brooks, those guys are back again this year. Those were their guys last year. And they they were really, they were good. They were good, but they were not what we've come to expect from Alabama's receivers. Good, but not elite. And I don't know why that is going to change in one offseason with a quarterback who's not even remotely close to the type of passer that you had in Bryce Young, who, oh, by the way, was the number one pick overall in the NFL draft. I know that they want to go back to Saban's roots and more of a, a Georgia-style offensive approach. Really, they want to go back to the run the football, work play action off of that. But at some point against the best teams on your schedule, you're going to have to have a quarterback that can drop back 
and make plays with his arm and win football games with his arm. That's what college football has become. And doing it against the likes of Middle Tennessee State, that's one thing. It's a good start, but doing it against the likes of LSU, doing it against the likes of even Tennessee, against Georgia maybe potentially, against the likes of Texas, that's a very different thing. I'm also still not 100% sold on the middle of the Alabama defense. I would not call that a weakness over the past couple years, but they have not been as strong up the middle the past two or three years as Alabama traditionally is. I mean, think about what Alabama used to have, like the Ashawn Robinsons, all those kind of guys, the middle linebackers, the, the, even like go back to the Rolando McLeans, all those guys. They don't have guys like that right now. They're still good on the interior of the defensive line. They're still good at linebacker. I mean, it's Alabama we're talking about. It's all relative here. They're just not as good as they once were. But this is still an incredibly talented football team. I mean, according to the blue chip ratio that 247 Sports puts out every year, this is the most talented team in the country and by a pretty comfortable margin. But I just can't quite put my finger on it. There just seems like there's been something missing from this Alabama team the past year or two. I know they made it to the national championship game two years ago. I mean, I was there, right? I know they beat us in the SEC championship game just two short years ago. I know that. I was there. So everything I'm saying, of course, it's all relative to what Alabama usually is and their usual level of dominance. I just don't feel like they are that team. And maybe it's because teams like Georgia have caught up. Kirby Smart, the job he's done recruiting and the, the culture that he has established within our program has changed things a little bit. I think that there's something to that for sure. I, I just go back to it. I simplify it like this because I know this is an oversimplification, but I think it really can be this simple. Sometimes the answer is that simple. Occam's razor, right? How are you going to be better when you lose Bryce Young, a former Heisman Trophy winning quarterback and the number one pick in the NFL draft a couple of months ago? You lose Will Anderson, who was in the Heisman Trophy conversation two years ago, was the best defensive player on your team for the past two years. You lose a first round pick at running back in Jameer Gibbs. You lose both of your coordinators and you're supposed to be better this year? I just don't know how reasonable it is to expect that. I do expect them to win the West, but again, I think it's more by default. I just think that they're better than LSU, and they get a lot of those tougher games at home this year. They get LSU at home. They get Ole Miss at home. They have to go to A&M. They get Arkansas at home. All those games that I think could be trickier if they were on the road for this Alabama team, they get those games at home this year. So I think that certainly helps them. And I don't think that we are head and shoulders above better than Alabama this year because we have some of our own questions as we'll get to here in just a moment. We all know those. But right now, I have to put us ahead of Alabama. And one of the big reasons is we have been less quarterback dependent than Alabama has over the past couple years, at least how they've been constructed over the past couple years. Now, maybe again, maybe they're changing that this year and they don't want to have to be as quarterback dependent. But if you're not, who are you relying on? Is Jace McClellan ready to be that guy at running back? Roy Dell Williams? Maybe Justice Haynes is a freshman? I don't know. I need to see that from those guys. I have not seen that yet. Is your defense just that dominant that you're going to be able to lean on it every single week, especially when you play the better teams on your schedule? I think Alabama's defense is going to be really good. Probably one of the better defenses in the country because, again, they have so much more talent than just about everyone else. But it's just not the same Alabama-type defense. I just don't see that. But enough about Alabama. Let's go to the number one team in the Glory UGA SEC Power Rankings your Georgia Bulldogs. I know when you run a team-centric podcast like I do here on the Glory UGA podcast and you pick your team to win the national championship or you place them at atop your list of the SEC power rankings, you run the risk of being called a homer. You run the risk of people just outright dismissing your opinions because of course you're going to say that that's your team. I hope over the years that I have earned your confidence 
as a person that, yes, while I love the University of Georgia, I am a diehard Georgia fan. I bleed red and black. I live and breathe this stuff. While all that's true, I also try to be as objective as I possibly can. And if there's things that I don't think that we're that good at, I try to tell you guys that. If there's a game I'm concerned about, I try to tell you guys that. Now, over the past two years, I have not had that many opportunities to do that because we have just been that dominant and that good. But as of right now, through one game, one game that you can't really tell that much from because we're talking about UT Martin. While that game was not perfect, through one game, I have seen nothing right now to suggest to me that the Georgia Bulldogs should be moved down from their perch atop my SEC power rankings. Were there some offensive frustrations at times in that first game against UT Martin? Sure, yeah, the first half, there were some moments like, oh man, I wish we were scoring a little bit more, moving the ball a little bit more crisply. Of course, were there some questionable calls at times? I mean, I'm, I'm saying like one or two questionable calls from Mike Bobo. Yeah, there were, but I mean, again, like I said earlier in the week, that is the case for just about every offense coordinator in the country. I don't know why we as fans just like to use Mike Bobo as our own personal designated punching bag. Would I have liked to have seen us run the football more effectively and just bowl over UT Martin despite the fact that they were outnumbering us in the box? Of course, I would have liked to have seen that. But at the end of the day, there were still a lot of things to like coming out of that game. I know there seems to be some divergence of opinion on how Carson Beck played in that game. I told you earlier in the week, I am of the opinion that Carson played very well for his first start and did a lot of really good things. Was he perfect? No, he was not. It was his first start. There's a throw or two he would like to have back. But all in all, I thought he played a very good game in his first start. I was very pleased with what I saw. Our defense is going to be dominant yet again. Offensively, there were some some plays that I would like to see us make that we did not make. But you also have to remember, we had a lot of new, very young faces that we were working in that game. Two starters at receiver did not play. Brock Bowers was a little bit banged up and caught five balls for 77 yards and looked great doing it because he's just Brock Bowers. But Kirby was very open after the game saying we were trying to actively limit the amount of touches that we gave this guy. We wanted to see other people. That game, of course we wanted to win the game. That's the object of every game. But that game was more about us trying to figure out who is going to help us win. Who are the guys that we want to get the ball to? We wanted to get guys experienced, get them comfortable. And we accomplished that mission. There's nothing coming out of that game right now that's going to make me say, I got to drop George below Alabama. Now, when things get real in two weeks, when we play South Carolina, or if we just completely wet the bed against Ball State and that game is uncomfortably close and Alabama goes out and they look really good against Texas and make me look like an idiot, well then, yeah, I'll readjust my thinking. But we've seen nothing to this point through one week to suggest that we should be moved down below Alabama or below LSU. I still believe that we have one of the best offensive lines in the country. I still believe that Carson Beck is going to be a very good quarterback for us. I still know that Brock Bowers is a bad man. I still believe that Dominic Lovett is going to be an absolute dynamic playmaker for us this year. I know that Ladd McConkie is a big-time playmaker for us. I know that we are loaded at tight end. I know that we have one of the, if not the best, inside linebacker rooms in the entire country. I know that we have two potential All-Americans playing safety. None of that changed on Saturday night. Now, do I have some questions about the interior of our defensive line being as dominant as they have been in years past when we play some of the better teams on our schedule down the road and once we get to a potential SEC Championship game or the college playoff? Yeah, I do have some questions there. Do I have questions about our running back room in terms of whether or not we have a truly elite guy back there? Yeah, I think there are some fair questions there. Branson Robinson going down, I do think was a blow for us as he was that kind of guy. 
I think that we have some good running backs. I don't know if we have a dynamic running back in that group right now, but I'm not really sure that we did last year either. I mean, Kenny McIntosh was great out of the backfield, but running the football, I mean, wasn't dynamic running the ball. Dejan Edwards is really good and a solid player for us. Not dynamic running the ball. Kendall Milton's never been that for us. Good player, but never been that. I think Branson showed signs when he got a few carries in the Auburn game. He had a really good game there. I think he was going to be that guy for us this year, but I mean, he, he's not he's not playing this year. We just have to deal with that. So I have some questions there, but, but we are so strong everywhere else that I think that we're going to be able to compensate for us. Now, does that mean that we're going to win the national championship? No, not necessarily, but I still think that we are very much going to be in that conversation. And I think that we have more known quantities and better, more dynamic, more dominant known quantities than any other team in the SEC. So until I have more of a reason to drop us down from the number one spot, the dogs are staying at number one. But all right, guys, that's all I got for you today. I will be back with Curtis, hopefully, on Thursday with our mailbag episode. So if you have any questions, send those to us on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can email us if that's easier for you to glorygapodcast at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Instagram. I'll try to put the call out on social media, but just don't want to remind you guys here as well. We will, we usually run that as the second episode in the week, but Curtis had some things going on with Labor Day, so kind of had to switch things around. This week's just a little weird. It's a little bit of a different week, but the plan is to hopefully have him on later this week, and then Charlie will be back with me on Friday for our week two picks of the week. So a lot of great content left for you guys the rest of this week. I hope you guys have a fantastic week. I'll be back here in a couple of days. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.